Well, uh, just like um, the Shannon and and uh, Terry said, you know, I feel like the Holy Spirit had uh, has changed our service a little bit. I was planning on doing a short message today, but I really feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to do a three-hour message. And um, I just want to go with where the Spirit's leading. And so, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, when, um, when the Lord, you know, kind of started planting a dream in, I think, you know, my heart and I think other people's hearts about our church, you know, going back probably to, to Steve and Maxine Agarda and then, you know, our transition uh, eight years ago. Um, I think one of the things that really was a, a vision or a hope or a goal for our church is that we would be a church that um, messy people would be welcomed. And, um, and people maybe who have challenging backgrounds or who haven't been churched or have gone through some really bumpy, bumpy life experiences. Um, and I think partly because in my own life, you know, it was the fact that, that churches were welcoming to me when I was being a moron or going through really challenging things that I always found that really encouraging to me is that I was, I was welcomed. And then I've just seen um, time and time again how churches can be communities where people who have addiction backgrounds or who have, um, you know, these habits or rhythms of their life that are not, that are not helping them Churches can be communities that help people re- recover from that. And so it's always been kind of a, a goal of mine. Um, but at the same time, too, it's really challenging sometimes to be able to be a community that has people from all different diverse backgrounds to be in a community together because we have different life expectations, we have different experiences, all these different differences that exist. And um, But I, I remember a number of years ago, I was having a Bible study with uh, with a man who basically, you know, was uh, part of a biker gang his whole entire life, basically, and had gotten into drugs and alcohol. And I think at one point in time, he was like selling guns or some crazy stuff. And then he ended up in prison for a long time. And then he had gotten out and he was trying to like figure out life, so to speak. And so he he uh, asked me, he's like, hey, would you be willing to get together and read the Bible together? I don't even know where to start with it. And I was like, absolutely. I would love to do that. And so we started just reading the Gospels together. And we started in the Gospel of Mark. And I remember this one afternoon as we were reading this passage of Scripture, and as he was wrestling with what this passage of Scripture uh, was teaching, that I, I asked him that question. I said, what do you think this passage of Scripture teaches us about God? And with tears streaming down his face, he said, this passage, I think, teaches me that God actually loves me and likes me. And I was like, that's amazing, you know, that you that you read that. And he's like, yeah, I just have never, ever seen that as clearly. Like, I, I know that, that we think, you know, in the church that God loves everybody, but I just never thought about that for myself. And he has this, like, profound experience with God, and God's love became personally uh, a part of his story. And, you know, that, that um, experience was pretty formative for me because he was a guy that I think if many of us saw him, we would be quick to maybe cross the street or be just assume that this guy's going to take my money. In fact, the whole Bible study, I was like, where's my wallet? Joking. But I was kind of a little, little like nervous. And, uh, and yet this man had this experience with God and was, was shaped and formed and impacted in a profound way because of that. And, and so it's always been, you know, kind of in the back of my 
my mind that we have to work really hard always to be a church that's welcoming to everybody. Like we, we want to have people from every background, every socioeconomic um, status, from every life experience be able to feel welcomed here. And that is a challenge at times. That is a challenge at times, but it's really important to our identity uh, as a church community. And that's why I'm, you know, we've talked about this for the last two months. That's why I'm really excited about Celebrate Recovery starting in January because I think this is a a mechanism that will help us make disciples of people from every walk of life. And there's some people who, through their experiences and through their traumas and griefs and and their, their stresses, they get sucked down a path where, you know, there's addictions or habits or things that just impact them that make it really hard for them to recover for that. And, and all of us deal with stress and trauma differently, right? Like some of us just eat a lot of chocolate. Some of us, you know, might uh, binge certain things. Other people use alcohol or drugs to be able to numb that pain. But at any rate, the point is, is that all of us have to learn how to to actually navigate those experiences. And so I'm really excited about Celebrate Recovery because I think it'll be a community where people can come and can experience God's love in a transformative way, just like that man experienced God's love. And that's, that's kind of the goal, I think, of church in many ways. We want to be a space where people can experience God's love. Um, so today marks the fourth week of Advent. And, and it's been really exciting. And as a reminder, as we just saw, Advent is, is the Christian holiday, the season, I should say, where we, we look at the coming of Christ, both in the first coming, the incarnation, and the wonder and splendor of it. Because if you haven't yet maybe um, reflected on this, but the idea that God became a human being is profound and is is, is one uh, truth that should cause us to have wonder. Because it's absolutely um, overwhelming to think that the creator of all of the universe could become a baby, a baby boy. And so this, this season is when we think about that, but we also look to the promise of his second coming where Jesus is going to come and return and, and he's going to put forth justice and he's going to put everything back together the way it should be. And I love Advent for a couple of reasons, though. One reason why is because there are literally millions of other Christians all over the world in every country who are celebrating Advent at the same time. And I love that there's, there's this community, this community of churches that are cultivating wonder and splendor at the incarnation, but also looking forward to the return of Jesus And so thus far, we have focused on the three themes. We looked at hope the first week. We talked about peace. Last week, we talked about joy. And this morning, we're looking at the final Advent theme of love. And so what I want to do is I want to read a passage of Scripture. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to spend some time thinking about how this passage applies to all of our lives. And so reading from 1 John 4, verses 9 through 21, we read these words. God showed us, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and spent and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit 
as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen this with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. We thank you that you've been here with us, and we ask, God, that as we spend time now thinking about how this passage of Scripture applies into our lives, that we would be shaped and formed to be like Jesus more, and that we would be a church that's known for our love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's interesting that we you know, are in a world now where there are literally more and more ways to stay engaged with people. You know, like there's Zoom, there's all these different apps that allow us to be able to connect with people. And yet in many ways, if you talk to social science folks, uh, psychologists and therapists, they'll confirm that in many ways we are the most disconnected that we've ever been in all of human history. And it is interesting because it's like, in many ways, we, we are trying to understand love, and yet the world has somewhat gone mad in a lot of unique ways. And if you took the time to actually hear what John says here, though, if you were actually listening to what John wrote, you'll likely agree that his words carry a pretty large challenge for us. Um, I've been reflecting on this passage all week and just been convicted and convicted and convicted um, by what he says. It's, it's very challenging. The love that John describes here, it really goes against the grain of what we hear and what we see and what we experience in the world that we live in. The, the type of love that he defines is, is so different because we use the word love, I think, in a lot of different ways. I mean, almost, almost every week there is some taco I eat that I declare my allegiance to. Okay, I'm like, I love this taco. You know, last night we had pizza from Firehouse, and in my opinion, Firehouse is the best pizza place in all of Red Bluff. It is so much better than Little Caesars. I just have to go out and just declare that. But it's like, I love pizza. I love tacos. I love XYZ. We love TV shows. I mean, I feel like we throw that word around a lot. At least I do. And, and we use this, lo- this word love in so many different silly ways um, in our life. And, and I think we do that from early on. I mean, I was reflecting on recently about how, thank God, we didn't marry the person that we first fell in love with when we were 12. Anybody ever come in contact with the person that they once declared their love for and are very grateful that they did not marry them? Yeah, some of us have. Now, for those of you who met your first love and got married, whatever. All right. <laughs> But I mean, like, when we're, 
when we're kids, you know, like we turn 12, 13, it's like, oh, mom, you have to let me talk to this girl. I love her. You know, and then years later, you're like, thank you, mom, for not allowing me to talk to girls until I was 19. I really appreciate that. So we use that word in a lot of, I think, unhelpful ways, I guess. But really, what is love? What is love? If we have this word and we just throw it around all the time, what is love? I think according to scripture, the best definition that we have for love is this. If we're looking at the word love and we're trying to understand what does this word mean, I think this is the best definition. It is working for and seeking the best for the other person, regardless of whether it is good for you. That is the best definition of love that I think we can actually actually live our lives and this is based right on Scripture. I mean, in Romans 5.8, Paul writes, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Right? Like, it wasn't we did something, we earned God's love, and then he gave us his love. It was, it was God seeking and working for, for a certain thing, persons, people, without it actually being a benefit to him. We also see the same thing in 1 John 3.16 where John writes earlier in this passage we're looking at, he writes, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So love is not, it's not self-serving. It's not, it's not self-preferential. It's not self-focused. Love is about seeing and treating other people in a specific way, even if it doesn't serve your own needs. And this goes against what I, I think we, we see in society because most of society now in the Western world is dominated by a love perspective that's influenced by a thing called commodification, where it's this idea of, I will scratch your back if you scratch my back. I will love you if you love me. It's all based off of earning these things. And, and it's just a commodity. We treat people often as if they're a commodity. Like even in church, you know, I'll love my fellow Christian people as long as they meet my needs, right? But, but John is actually challenging us to see what love is, and love is where you seek and pursue the blessings of other people regardless of whether it actually helps you because it's not self-surfing, it's not self-preferential, and it's not self-focused. And so we have to see love uh, in, a, in a really more robust way in the world we live in. So what's helpful toward understanding how we work for and seek the best for the other person is to consider Paul's love chapter. Now, I grew up in the church. I've been in church for my whole entire life. I have been to 10 million weddings, and I've done at least 9 million weddings over the course of 25 years of ministry. And I got to the point at one point where I was like, Okay, we're planning this wedding. What passage of scripture would you like? And almost every time, can we do 1 Corinthians chapter 13? And I actually developed this like, oh, gosh, again, 1 Corinthians 13. How many of you have heard this, pa this passage, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not, blah, blah, blah. And I would just, I'd read it and I was like, oh. But you know what? There is no better place in Scripture, I think, to get a, 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 an author of Scripture to flesh out which, what, what love actually looks like, you know, like by detail. Obviously, we have examples of love, Jesus, 
the apostles. But we have in this passage of scripture, Paul fleshing out really clearly what love is. Just listen to this. And we're not going to read it in the boring way. We're going to be, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Ouch. Oh. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Every marriage take note. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Right? That also is one of those things when somebody gets what's coming for him, you're like, I told you so. Oh, but Paul says it's different. That's not love. Love never gives up, never, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Paul right here gives us no clearer definition and explanation of what love looks like. I mean, it's just profound. He gives us a picture. So we have Jesus as the ultimate example of demonstrating love. Though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we have Paul here, he's fleshing out and saying, listen, if you really love someone, you're going to be patient. You're going to be kind. You're not going to be so easily irritated. You're not going to keep a huge record of all the things that your husband has done wrong. Just saying. Or your wife. Or your parents. or I mean, it doesn't do that. Love, love requires us to live differently, right? And so, so Paul fleshes out there a lot of really helpful, I think, application to us as followers of Jesus. What's interesting here is that John declares that God is more than just a loving being, though. And I think oftentimes we, we think of God as he's, he's loving, but John actually takes it one step further. Instead of just saying he's loving, he, he goes further and declares that God's very nature is love. God is love. It is who he is. It's part of his ontological makeup. You cannot have God as a being without him being loving. And it's a very profound truth. His character is love. He is love, in fact. But the question I think many of us struggle with our whole lives is how can God love me? I mean, I grew up in the church and I had literally heard 10 billion sermons about God loves me. And yet it wasn't until I was in my, my mid-20s when I finally had my own personal um, experience with God in a profound way where I came to understand that, no, God actually does love me. He loves me. And what you need to know this morning is that you are loved by God. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your church experience. It doesn't matter what family you came from. Thank God. And the point is that God loves you. And it's, you are an object of God's love. And, and yet, so the question then becomes, well, how do we know that God loves us? And one of the ways that John answers this is he points to Jesus. He says, God sent his son Jesus to redeem a fallen world. He, fleshed, he makes it clear, like, you want to know how God loves you? The fact that God sent his son as a sacrifice for your sins is proof that God loves you. And some of us might be like, whoa, that seems really mean of God to send his son. Here's the beauty of the, of the Trinity is that the son willingly chose to come and die on our behalf, right? And so we have this perfect example here of God demonstrating his love for us. And, and, and there's other reasons that, that John gives here. So again, we're asking, how do we know God loves us? A, a second way to know is because God gave 
his spirit as proof. He gave his Holy Spirit as proof to us. In fact, we see this. John talks about, about um, this through the lens of proof. He uses that word. Uh, Paul will elsewhere talk about he is a, a down payment or a seal or he's the, the fulfillment of the promise all throughout Scripture. But the point is, is that if you have come to know Jesus as your Savior, you choose to follow Jesus, every single follower of Jesus is given the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit now lives inside of you. And I don't know about you, but when I really think about that, it is almost overwhelming to think that God's presence resides in me. Like, oh my gosh. Again, the creator of the universe's spirit lives inside of me. Lives inside of me. It is a profound Advent truth. And then finally, when we ask that question of how do we know that God loves us, we see him answer, John answers in this way. He, he reminds us that God gives us his love, and that love grows and also expels fear. And that's kind of the whole point of Advent love, I think, in many ways, is that we have to start with an awareness of God's deep love for us. Like, God loves us more than we could ever fathom. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And God fills us with his love. But the thing is, we don't just receive God's love and keep it to ourselves. We're supposed to turn around and give it away. He fills us, we give it away. He fills us, we give it away. And it's important that we have that experience because you can't give away what you don't have, amen? You can't give away what you don't have. And so John reminds us that, that God gives us his love and that, that love grows. And that love grows and it helps us to expel any of the fears that shape us and form us and, and control us. He says, no, if you come to understand God's perfect love, you're gonna have confidence. You're gonna have confidence about your relationship with Jesus so what you need to know this morning is that you are loved and you have been shown you are loved and there is no reason why you shouldn't love those around us because after all, though we are broken and we are messy and we are sinners and we make decisions all the time that go contrary to the teachings of Scripture, we are objects of God's love. We are objects of God's love and He loves us regardless. Let's stand up together. <clears throat> It's a really interesting thing that happens um, in, in John's life. Um, so this, the apostle John who wrote this, this epistle, this letter, um, he wrote the Gospel of John as well. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he also received the last book of our Bibles, Revelation. And he, if, you, if you study gospel scholarship, or if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to notice pretty quickly that John is like the deep end of the theological swimming pool. Okay, like John is, he, he doesn't write the same way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics, and they, they kind of tell the story of Jesus from kind of the same sources, and they're kind of fleshing it out. It's kind of Mark's super easy to start with. Luke's great. Uh, Matthew kind of is taking it from a Jewish background. John is like, chill out guys, let me flesh this out a little bit more. And he does like this crazy good theological stuff in it. And then he writes these epistles and they're like full of, of like really good theological stuff as well. And then the Revelation, if you've ever read Revelation, you're just like, oh my gosh. And he writes these four pieces of literature that are inspired by the Holy Spirit that make it into our Bibles. He's super, super wise, 
man, he was discipled by Jesus. He planted tons of churches, literally led hundreds and thousands of people to Jesus. That's, that's John. And it's interesting because as we study church history, he's the only disciple out of all the apostles that's not martyred. In fact, that's, that's something that Jesus said that would happen. But he, he takes care of Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, after Jesus is crucified and resurrected. And then he, he goes around, he's planting churches, he spends time in Ephesus, he's teaching theology, he's got all this great wisdom to add. And then he ends up, you know, finally he gets older and older and older and his body becomes more feeble to the point where he can no longer walk. He can't like walk to church anymore, so they carry him. And it's interesting because John has the ability to go in and talk about deep theological truths, but church history tells us that he had one final message that he preached everywhere he went in the end of his age. And his message that he preached was, children love one another. That's what he would talk about. He would, he would be carried into rooms and all these people were excited to hear from this man who followed Jesus and saw Jesus in the flesh and, and knows all this deep theological stuff. And they're all excited. And I'm sure that the ones that could read and write had their scrolls and were ready to take all his notes. And he comes out as he's carried and he has one message. He says, little children, love one another. And so Jesus says in Matthew 24 that the world will know us by our love. So the way that we're able to share the love that we've received has a profound way of impacting the world around us and can help other people see that we are different and Jesus is unique. He is the Son of God and He is the one who came to show us what love looks like. Amen? Let's pray. So I think that that there is the, the Lord's on something that Shannon brought up. You know how um, anger is is a symptom of other feelings. Um, oftentimes it can be fear. It can be um, sad, being sad. There's a lot of different reasons that that cause anger. And I just have this sense that there's a few of us in this room that, yeah, in this Christmas season, there are some, there's some negative feelings that are kind of, kind of dominating. And, and what you need to experience this morning, if that's you, is to experience an outpouring of God's love. Because again, John says that God's love, perfect love casts out fear. God's love casts out anxiety. God's love casts out anger. God's love casts out all of those different things that maybe impact the way that we view the world we live in. And so if that's you this morning, I, would, I'm gonna pr- I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna pray that this morning you would experience God's love. And so oftentimes when we receive prayer here at the vineyard, we like to hold our hands up just like this. And it's just another way of us to embody our, our faith 
to say with our bodies, yes, God, I want to receive from you. Um, I want to turn these things over to you. And so if, if any of this at all connects with you and you would like prayer, you're more than welcome to lift your hands up right now. But Holy Spirit, I, I ask right now for your presence to come and to fill the hearts and the minds of every person in this room that is struggling with really experiencing the joy of Advent, the peace of Advent, the hope of Advent, and the love of Jesus. And so would your perfect love right now fill this room and cast out any fear, any anxiety, any anger, that the way that we would manage these challenging circumstances we face would be to lean into your love. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Lord, would you bring healing to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives in a way that we would be conformed more and more to be like Jesus? Would you help us, Lord, that as we, we transition from this gathered space and we go into the, into the neighborhoods, the nooks and the crannies of our communities, Lord, as we go to family events and, and hang with friends, Lord, over the next over the next few days, God, would you help us, Lord, to live in your love and to help other people know your love? Would you open up doors of conversation, opportunities of action, God, where we can both tell people of your love and show people your love? And now, Lord, I pray for, for safety for everybody in this room. And I ask, Lord, that as you, as you go with us, God, that you would change us, Lord, to make a difference. We pray this in Jesus' name.